So I remember when I was a younger boy, I definitely wasn't a man, probably somewhere between 8 to 12, I remember going up to my mom's office, and my mom worked in not downtown Dallas, but just outside of it, uh, probably North Dallas, and she worked, oh, Uptown, that's what it's called, Uptown, we balling now, baby, let's go, Uptown ballers, swag up in here. Okay, so apparently she worked in Uptown, Jacob knows Dallas better than me, he was a lot cooler than I was growing up. Uh, So somewhere between 8 and 12 years old, um, and I was at her desk, and she was on, I believe, the 12th floor is where your desk was back then, and I remember just loving going up to her office, and I remember loving being at her desk. She sat next to the boss, which meant you had a window view, and so you would look out, and you would see so much of the downtown Dallas skyline. You would see all the way out miles and miles, cities and cities, and I loved this view. And there was one day, it was about 4.30, I know she's wrapping up her work, Um, we were getting ready to leave, and there was this really bad accident on the highway. And now the highway that her desk would look out over was Interstate Highway 75. And if you know anything about Texas, if you've ever been to Texas, even if you just cross the border and there's a traffic jam, it's probably because it's backed up in Dallas on (laughs) I-75. So super traffic, super inconvenient for a lot of people. But we remember, I remember looking out and saying, oh, there's a bad accident on the highway. First of all, as an 8 to 12-year-old boy, being able to see an accident on the highway was pretty sweet. Usually you just get to see stuff like that on cops, okay? I think they call it live PD now for you youngins in here. So I'm like, man, there's an accident on the highway. This is pretty crazy. Um, And traffic is starting to get backed up. It's so bad that people are sitting on the freeway. They're getting out of their cars, and they're standing on the bumpers, jumping up on the roof of their cars to see what is going on. Why is traffic stopped? And of course, they cannot see from their perspective that there is an accident ahead of them. From our perspective, on the 12th floor looking down, we can see, okay, this is a pretty bad accident. All right, traffic is backed up. Some of these people are freaking out down there. It's pretty chaotic. It's pretty hopeless. But up here, we can see what's going on because we have the high ground. And those people down there, they're freaking out because they're on the ground level. Now, what we also could see is that here comes the ambulance. Here comes the fire truck. Here comes the police department. The red lights are on the scene, and things are getting wrapped up. It's 4.30. Mom leaves at 5. We've got to get to football practice. Do we need to take another route? And the answer was no, because they got it cleared out. And so the whole time, having the perspective of the high ground, we were at peace the whole time. There was nothing to worry about, because we could see what was going on. We not only had what was right in front of them, we had the full picture. But the people on the ground were in panic. Anytime you get out of your vehicle on a busy intersection and go stand on the bumper to take a look like, hey, what's going on over there? That's dangerous. Stay in your vehicle. I don't care. Maybe a motorcycle is going to go through the little lanes in between, just be crazy, and you might get hurt. I don't know. Just stay in your car on busy intersections, all right? That's the sermon today. Let's pray. (laughs) (laughs) The difference between the people on the ground and us up on the 12th floor was perspective. And based off of that perspective, we can make our plans. Based off of the perspective of the people on the ground, they needed to make their plans. But it's all based off of the perspective that we have. 
Today, we look at Jesus' perspective and the plans that Jesus puts into place, and we look at how oftentimes they're so much different than our perspective. They're so much different from the plans that we put into place, and we look at why Jesus' perspective is different. We look at why his plans are deeper, are better, why we can follow them. And so this morning, we are going to be in John chapter 11. We are looking at another I am statement of Jesus. So go ahead and turn there. We're going to be John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days later in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world, the sun. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I Go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin. This is doubting Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. The first thing that we see this morning is that Jesus's perspective and Jesus's plans are not our own. And we look at the people in this situation, we see that each one of these people, each one of these groups of people have their own perspective on what is taking place in the life of Lazarus. And how Jesus saying that he loves Lazarus is to react to this. And how Jesus needing to be fearful for his life in their eyes needs to be worried about where he is going and what he is doing and how he is doing it. It's not just the perspective of his disciples, but it's the perspective of of Mary and Martha. They had their perspective. They had their plans. We see that Mary and Martha are on the ground level. They only see what is urgent. They do not see the bigger picture. What they see is, hey, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus, we've seen what Jesus can do, and Jesus can heal him. And so we need to do whatever we can do in our power to get Jesus here so that Lazarus will not die, but so that Jesus can make him whole and healthy again. Based off of that perspective, what is their plan? We see that in verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
So the sisters get together, as sisters do, and they hatch together these plans, and they say, okay, let's get a runner, and let's send him to Jesus. And this messenger is going to tell Jesus, Jesus, this man whom you love, because Jesus was close with this family, he is dying, and we need you to come and heal him. Let's let Jesus know what's going on in the life of Lazarus. And because we know that Jesus loves us, and he wants what's good for us, that we know that he will come. We have an expectation that Jesus will come. And then there's Jesus. And if Jesus hasn't flipped everything upside down in your life yet, hopefully this example gives you an example of how he will flip everything upside down in your life and in turn make things better for you by making them better for him and his kingdom and in his plan. Jesus has his perspective and Jesus has his plan. We see this in verses 5 through 7. Jesus has the high ground. He sees the bigger picture. He sees what's at stake here. And Jesus' plan, as we see in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he jumped up and he put his Nikes on and he ran as fast as he could. Right, that's what we expect Jesus to do. Jesus is going to save the day exactly how we want Jesus to save the day in our little narrative. We put Jesus inside this tiny box and we say, you can only operate in A, B, C ways and the outcome can only be X, Y, Z. And if you don't do this, then surely you don't love me. But Jesus operates on his own time and in his own way. (laughs) Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he does not strap on the Nikes. He does not go running. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? Imagine Mary and Martha in this situation. So we're kind of reading the story. If you grew up in church, if you read your Bible, you're reading it from the end of the story looking back, but there at the beginning of the story looking forward, and things are seeming hopeless. Where's Jesus? The runner has already come back. The messenger has returned, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. Does he even care? And what we see is in their perspective, as it's very small. What we see is if Jesus would have come any sooner, that a statement would not have been made because Jesus had his perspective. Jesus had his plan. And so he waits. And it doesn't always make sense to us. But Jesus does things in his own time, in his own way. And why does Jesus do things in his own time and in his own way? especially when it doesn't make sense to us. It's to bring glory to himself. It is to bring glory to God. In his delay of, La- of Lazarus being raised from the dead, well, spoiler alert, that doesn't happen quite yet. If you didn't know the story, I just ruined everything for you, okay? <laughs> That's my bad. Jesus does not go because going to Lazarus would have been just another healing. The disciples knew that Jesus could heal The people that were following, the crowds that were following Jesus knew that Jesus could heal. But in the delay of Jesus going to Lazarus, he knew that he would pass. He knew that he would fall asleep. And so in the delay, in Lazarus falling to sleep physically, in Lazarus dying here on the earth, Jesus was going to Mary, to Martha, to Lazarus, these people that he loves. And it's not just another healing. These people are used to that, but it is a resurrection. It is bringing someone that was in death, and bringing them to life. And why is that? So that people would believe, so that the disciples would believe. 
so that Mary, so that Martha would believe, so that Lazarus would believe, so that we could see this and we see the power of Jesus over death. Why did Jesus wait? For the glory of God and for the glory for himself. And then Jesus says in verse 7, and after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Hold up, Jesus, says Thomas. What's going on here? All the disciples are kind of chattering. This doesn't make any more sense than when you said, okay, thanks, messenger. I hear that Lazarus, this man whom I love, is dying. I'm going to hold back and chill for two days. Now you're saying, okay, it's time. Let's go back to Judea. We just came from there, and they tried to stone you. They tried to pick up rocks and throw them at you until you were dead. Thomas had his perspective. Thomas had his plan. Thomas was thinking logically over faithfully. And hear me out, I'm not trying to paint logic as the enemy here, because God gives us logic and he gives it to us for a reason. I think logic mixed with the Holy Spirit leads to discernment, and I think that is a very powerful thing, especially when it comes to our lives as believers and in the church. But what Thomas, what the disciples were doing is saying, Jesus, we need you to be protected. We need you to be safe. You can't rush into this situation. We can't go back to Judea. They were thinking logically. You know what they weren't thinking? They weren't thinking faithfully. They weren't thinking big picture. This is the Messiah. No, they were thinking this is this militaristic leader who is going to lead us out of the oppression of Rome. It is not his time to die. We have to keep him safe. He can't lead us into battle just yet. The following isn't big enough. Jesus, we can't put you in harm's way just yet. They were thinking about themselves over thinking about the kingdom. And Jesus wants to reframe everything and take our minds and our thoughts off of ourselves and put them into kingdom thinking. But then he hears Jesus. And depending on the vocal inflection of how you want to read Thomas's response to Jesus, this could go either two ways. The first way, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and that is submission, all right? Verse 16, so Thomas called the twin. Remember, this is doubting Thomas, so this next inflection will probably lend more to that. Said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, there's another way that Thomas could say this, and that's like a smart aleck, okay? And that's what your kids get in trouble for when you're raising them. I got in trouble for that a lot growing up, being a smart aleck. And to that, I would say, my name's Alex. It's not smart Alex, all right? Smart Alec. That's not my name. You name. I, I got in a lot of trouble for that one. Wow, that's right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> Thomas responds to Jesus, really? Back to Judea? All right, let's go die. But either way, he submitted to his Messiah. He submitted to his Lord, and they went. And then there's Jesus. And once again, Jesus has his perspective. Jesus has his plan. And Jesus, from the high ground, says, no, it's not my time to, get to die. I go to Judea. I go to Mary, to Martha, into the grave that Lazarus is about to be laying in. And I go to glorify God. And I go to glorify myself. I go to do the will of the Father. And then in verse 10, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go awaken him. When you are Jesus, when you have the power to raise the dead back to life, when you have the power of resurrection. Death is just sleep. It is harder to wake a middle schooler up for school than it is for Jesus to raise a dead person and bring them back to life. 
that is truly powerful. That is truly miraculous. And then there's us. And we find ourselves mixed up and caught up in this whole mess of a story. And from the ground level, we look at our marriages sometimes and we say, this is just too much for me. This marriage is too far gone. And to that, God reminds us from the high ground that marriage is supposed to make us holy, not necessarily happy. God reminds us from the high ground that marriage is two people bound together forever. God reminds us from the high ground that restoration is just ahead. Keep holding out. God reminds us from the high ground, don't seek a way out of this, but submit to me, submit to my will. Let me lead you as you lead your spouse. Let me love you as you love your spouse. Let me forgive you as you forgive your spouse. And watch me restore everything. To take a dead marriage and bring it back to life. From the ground level in our families, we say, man, this family is getting to be a little bit too much. I don't think that I can take it anymore. I think I'm done with the people that God has given me the same genetics and DNA and the same blood in my veins as them. And from the high ground, God says, I put you right where you are to be salt and to be light. So keep shining, keep broadcasting that light. Thank you, Ralph. Surprise visitor. <laughs> keep shining that light in your family. Keep preserving my goodness in your family in being salt. Reconciliation is right around the corner. Submit them to me. Submit yourself to me and watch how I restore absolutely everything. On the ground level, we say that I cannot handle my job anymore. It is not my passion. It is not what I've dreamed of doing my entire life. And from the high ground, God says, maybe so. But it's where I've called you to make a difference in my world and make a difference to the lost. It is my way for providing for you and your family. So find appreciation here. Find gratefulness here. Learn to find commitment here before you jump ship and run to that pasture, pasture over there where the grass is greener. Because you may find discontentment here, but chances are as soon as you get over there and after the first two-week honeymoon period of the new job wears off, you're going to realize that this grass tastes just the same as the old grass. What God is reminding us from the high ground is embrace what I am doing in your heart. Embrace how I am making you holy. Embrace how I am sanctifying you in the place that I have you to lead others to me and to work and to worship through your work. Because if you don't get the lessons that I am trying to teach you here, then you will not be ready for this life that I have ahead of you, for this job that I have ahead of you. So we need to change our perspective. We need to change our plans. And there's a reason that Jesus sees things from the high ground. There's a reason that Jesus has a different perspective on our lives. And we see that in John 11, verses 17 through 27. This is where it gets good. Verse 17, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem. That's where they were located, about two miles off. 
And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Imagining the distress that she must have been under. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Maybe this is like a spiritual saying that she is just trying to remind herself of. Maybe this is something that we might read on the side of a coffee mug that you might see hanging in somebody's house. I don't know how genuine, how sincere she is in this moment, but she's saying it almost to remind herself. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks at her and he asks, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus' plans, Jesus' perspectives, they are so much different from ours because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That is our second point today. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This means that he doesn't always see the same, see things the same as we do, and that is because Jesus is not the same as we are. We have to remember fully God and fully man. This isn't 50-50 one way or the other. This isn't not a God whatsoever, just a good teacher and 100% man. This isn't 100% God and then not a man because you can't kill a God. This is 100% God and 100% man. And in being 100% God and in being 100% man, his plans and his perspectives are different because he is resurrection. And we are flesh. And we are bound to death, at least physically. He is resurrection. And so resurrecting Lazarus from the grave is no problem for Jesus because Jesus is resurrection. Being resurrected after the cross three days later is no problem for Jesus because he is the resurrection. And that is all part of the plan. That is all part of his perspective. Not only is he resurrection, but he is life. And so giving life is no problem for Jesus because it is something that he was. Jesus says, if you believe in me, then you have life. And if we believe in him, we have life. And when Jesus gives life, you can't lose it. When Jesus gives life, it's not something that you can just tuck away in the back of a closet and forget about. It's not something that you can out When Jesus gives you life, it is something that is permanent. It is something that is yours. It is a gift that you didn't deserve, and it is not a gift that can be taken away from you. And through Jesus being the resurrection and the life, this is what changes our perspective. This is what changes our plans. We go from the ground level up to the 12th floor. Now we see what's taking place on the highway. We see that the medics have arrived to the scene. We see that things are under control. We don't have to be anxious and depressed and in a panic and chaos and hopelessness because we are not in control. From the 12th floor, we see the bigger picture. We see what God is at work doing. And we start asking questions like, God, what's the bigger picture here? God, what are you at work doing here? What are you doing 
in my office? What are you doing in my telecommuting? God, what are you doing in my family? What are you doing in me? What are you doing in the world? Jesus, what are you doing in Afghanistan? What are you doing in our nation? What are you doing in our leaders? And then we're reminded that everything that he is doing, everything that he is setting up is to bring himself glory in every situation. And when God receives the glory, as we see in Romans 8, 28, he is working everything out for his good and for ours. And this changes everything. We'll close out. John 11, 38 through 44, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus say, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. If you have a King James version of the Bible, it's got a really cool word on this scripture, and it says, he will stinketh. (laughs) Homeboy is going to stinketh because he's been dead for four days. And I'm not sure the science here, but I know at least after a couple, everything in your body releases. And so I know that Jesus loves Lazarus. I know that they had a relationship, and I know that if I had the power to raise someone from the dead, let's say it was Jacob, I would think it would be absolutely hilarious if Jacob rose from the dead in his own filth. (laughs) If he rose, stinketh-ing. That wasn't in my notes. That was just, man, this all ad-lib. That's free right there. Stinketh. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the other people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, stinketh all the way, and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Because he is a resurrection, because he is life, death does not get the final say. Because Jesus is resurrection, because Jesus is life, death is defeated. Jesus did the impossible at least what was thought to be the impossible when it came to Lazarus. When everyone is looking for a healing two days earlier, Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to hold back. I'm going to go in the will of the Father, and I'm going to bring glory to him and myself. And what you guys are going to see is a resurrection. Death, Death was such a little thing to Jesus that when we look back, we see that he called it sleep. And again, we look back from the end of the story, but looking forward from the beginning, in the midst of the craziness and the chaos, we see that Calling death sleep is a pretty big claim. We see that death does not get the final say in our lives because not only did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, but this is a precursor of what would happen when Jesus takes the cross. And on the third day when he rises from the dead, he rises victorious over sin, victorious over death, and victorious over the enemy. Because Jesus has defeated death, Because he is resurrection and because he is life, there is something that is on the table for us. And that is life. And that is resurrection. And we will not be 
resurrected physically until the last day. But when we come into relationship with Jesus, when we make him our Lord, when we ask him for forgiveness of our sins and we follow him, we are resurrected spiritually. So this morning, if that is you and you feel like a dead man wrapped up in the stinketh of your life in a cave, I want you to know that life is now on the table. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, you do not have to stay dead. But there's a man outside of that tomb that says, come out. Die to your sin. I died for your sin so that you could receive life, so that you could be forgiven no matter what it is, no matter how dirty you think you are. I want to make you clean. Not only do I want to make you clean, but I want you to follow me. And for the believers in here, there are things in our lives that are dead places that we need to hand over to Jesus to be resurrected. We need to hand over our relationships to Jesus. We need to hand over our families to Jesus. Husbands, you need to hand over your husbanding, if that's a word, to Jesus. The leadership of your household, you can't do that on your own. You will fail. There will be trauma in the lives of those you lead if you do not lean into Jesus. Wives, we leave the leading and the loving of our children and the submission in our lives to our husbands as is laid out by Jesus at the feet of Jesus. And we say, Jesus, this is going to be hard. Jesus, I'm not always going to agree with this knucklehead. Jesus, these kids are going to drive me crazy. Jesus, we're out of coffee and I just don't think I can do it anymore. And Jesus takes that and he hears it. In the scripture, a little part that we skipped over for time today, says that Jesus meets Mary in her weeping and Jesus wept. He met her right where he, she was. So moms, dads, in your weeping, in your trials, in your fears, and your struggles, Jesus meets you right where you are. And why does he do that? So that he can bring the dead to life in your life. For some of us, we need to bring our faith and our belief to Jesus. Maybe we've been doubting. Maybe we have questions. Questions are fine, but don't leave them questions forever. Let's find some answers. Let's dig into this. For some of us, we need to give our relationships to Jesus, whether that is dating or whether it's completely platonic. Maybe it's just living in community. We've been isolating ourselves, whether it's throughout the whole pandemic, we're just having a hard time getting back into this, but we need to press in. We need to live life together. We need to give the relationship parts of our life to Jesus to be resurrected. For some of us, it is our passion for true life. We've gotten caught up and swept away in chasing a dollar or chasing that next purchase on Amazon that is going to fill a 9 by 12 whole box shape in your heart that no man can take from a truck and put on your front porch to make you happy. We try to fill our lives with so many silly, pointless things, and they may work for a minute, but true life, true life is only found in Jesus. So let's give it back to him. Let's have him resurrected. Let's have him help us find life in it. Let's change our perspective as a church, to a kingdom perspective. This is not about us. This is about what God is doing and how we can take place in it. We've been invited into something bigger here. Let's give our lives over to him to be resurrected through the work of Jesus on the cross. Let's be resurrected physically in the future, on the last day. But right now, let's be resurrected spiritually. Let's pray. Jesus, goodness, we need you in the dead places in our lives. And we thank you that you are a powerful God who can raise the dead 
back to life, and we want to experience that ourselves. We don't want that just to be a phenomenon that Lazarus got to experience, but Jesus, we know that you love us just as much as you loved him. We know that you gave your life for us so that we could receive life, so that we could live your life, Jesus. Help us to find resurrection in you. Help us to lay the dead places in our lives down at your feet before your throne and say, Jesus, this is where I'm struggling. And Jesus, would you meet us in that struggle? Would you weep with us? And then would you move forward with us, resurrecting it from the dead? Jesus, for the person in here that does not have a relationship with you, that is still in the cave, that is still in death, that is still in sin, that is just trying to figure a way out, Jesus, would you call them out of the cave? Would you raise them from the dead to live a new life, to walk in you? Would you show them their need for a relationship with you as Lord, as master of their lives? Would you show them that true life, real life, is only found in you, and that is only after resurrection of the Spirit. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.